0: I'm talking to our CTO, and I'm identifying opportunities for us to work together at the get-go. Let's build a team. I'm talking to our IT team. How do we create less friction between security and IT? Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's James Azar,
1: host of the Cyber Hub CISO Talk Podcast and a CISO in the financial services space. He's come on down to the ranch today to talk with me about being a modern CISO. We're going to contrast the modern approach to some of the older approaches. We're going to talk about the impact to the team, the business, clients, and customers. We're going to talk about business alignment, and more importantly, we're going to talk about how to stay modern. James, thank you so much for coming on down to The Ranch.
0: Thanks for having me on The Ranch. It's great to be here.
2: Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford.
0: All right, so why don't you tell us briefly, how did you get into cyber and a little bit about your day job? My journey to cyber was, I think, like most people, accidental. If you would have asked my six-year-old self, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was either a fireman, policeman, right, like astronaut, Nowhere in there was security. I founded several companies over the last 11 years and security was a very big part of what we did. And the more I got my hands into security, the more I enjoyed it. And so lo and behold, 12 years later, I'm, you know, a CISO and doing my day job as a a chief information security officer and loving every minute of it, like enjoy getting up in the morning.
1: Uh, you know, accidental, I think you're right, is, is the path many of us took. And uh, loving the day job, that's good to hear, man. There's a lot of CISOs that are suffering from burnout. We've done a show on burnout. <laughs> I'm glad to hear we've got one here in the uh, in the studio who's more than willing to dive into it again the next morning. That's fantastic. We're going to talk about the modern CISO. And I thought the first thing we should do is contrast it to the uh, what we'll call the unmodern CISO, the antiquated CISO. What do we want to call that?
0: Yeah, I don't know if we call it the antiquated CISO. I think there's a cultural shift in the role of the CISO. And the cultural shift is within an organization, within the role of the chief information security officer. So let's not say antiquated. Let's just say the role of the CISO before was very much defined to one thing, mm-hmm. right? To like one aspect. You're in charge of security. We'll bring you something. You secure it. Whether we want to secure it, whether we want to take your recommendations is uh, in most cases kind of... Uh, up to the CIO or CTO or whoever, but really you're there to assess risk and let us know what our risk is. And over the last several, I'd say five to seven years, we've seen that role really get transformed. And I think the big transformation was September of 2017 to the new modern CISO. And everyone remembers what happens in September of 17th, Equifax, right? For those who may not have a calendar who don't remember. Equifax was the beginning of the need for modern CISOs. You could no longer be antiquated. The old CISO approach of I just know IT or I'm a networking guy and I'm a security guy and I can configure the firewall or I know architecture or engineering. Those are all very important qualities. But you and I can go back to how many of our peers who you'd ask them, what does your company do? How does it make its money? Pre-Equifax, that was like, I don't know. Uh, we sell something, we provide a service, we are, you know, we do X, we do Y, but I don't know all the different revenue streams that the company makes. I'm not really, you know, I'm sitting on the kids table. All I know is that there's, I get, you know, an X amount of money every year to do security. In the modern CISO post-Equifax, the CISO started to understand that your Jevity, in order not to end up like Equifax in order not to have the same fate as many of the good people that worked at Equifax was to start understanding how the business works and start to build those relationships, start to get a seat not only in front of the CEO, more FaceTime, but also in front of the board and really break down technical and start looking at the business side of it.
1: Right. And and to be fair, I think some of us were already doing those things. I don't want to say that I Equifax was the pivotal moment for all of us. I think there were a good number of us already barking up the right tree. But I agree with you that once Equifax hit, there was some brand new momentum on the table to sort of change and recharacterize the CISO role. I think that's a great synopsis you've just put forth there. So, if you are the modern CISO, then if you're the post-Equifax, post-September 2017 CISO, what does that mean to the team, to the business, and to your point, what does it mean to the clients and customers of the business, right? Because obviously we're tapped into that more as modern CISOs. So let's start with team, then business, and then clients and customers.
0: So, you know, Steve Jobs used to have a saying, hire smart people and get the hell out of their way. Right. The modern CISO is the kind of person who goes and he hires five people that could easily replace them and have them manage a team, give them a budget, let them almost run independently, but as a group, mm-hmm. that's what a modern CISO is because the, the day-to-day of a modern CISO is no longer, in, uh, what kind of threats are we dealing with or how many alerts is the sock getting? That's not your day-to-day. That's part of your weekly stand up. That may be part of your daily, you know, 30 minute call. Like, Hey, everyone catch me up. I operate on a one pager mentality. Mm-hmm. So if you can't give it to me in a page, if I can get one eight and a half by 11 with everything on it, then there's a problem. Either you don't know how to communicate, or there's a serious crisis at hand. Right. So my updates is a one pager. Like I just want it all in one page. Every VP has to give me a one pager of what's going on for the day. That's how I, that's how I like to start it off before any stand up meeting. Right. Before like any stand up call. Before anything, give me your one pager. But I trust you to make decisions. I don't want to micromanage my leadership. Right. Right. Because I've got other things to think about. I have to go build relationships across the business. I've got to deal with things that are going on that require my attention because guess what? VP to VP isn't really working. My VPs are struggling to get something done and I don't want my VP to go talk to the boss because that creates friction in the day-to-day relationship between maybe the VP of engineering and the VP of security engineering. Right. Right. Like that's not, that's not friction. I want those two guys to go well, we can't agree. Well, let's kick it up to our bosses and have them kind of, you know, be the judge, juror, and executioner of how we proceed with it.
1: That segues neatly from team to business now. So here you are right. uh, talking to the other SVPs, EVPs, to the other folks that are the bosses of these other VPs. And I'm assuming you are in turn passing on your one-pagers that, you know, that, that you 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 give what you mm-hmm. get. You believe in that same model. And right. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I love the, I don't call it one-pagers. I call it three or less slides. <laughs> Like it's maximum I'm willing to look at is three slides in a PowerPoint deck, right? So same, same principle. You're delivering that to the business, that same sort of short and sweet to the point sort of messaging. How are you dealing with those business relationships? You mentioned, you know, don't micromanage your guys, let them run around, do their things so that you can go interact with the business. What are those interactions like?
0: Business-wise, I'm more out on calls, joining and being a fly on the wall. When we're speaking to maybe potential business partners, investors, board members, um, a fly on the wall, I'm I'm, I'm a fly in a lot of calls, meaning I can just sit in the room and listen to people talk about technology, talk about processes, talk about how are we syncing things together. And then I'm building relationships. I'm talking to our CTO and I'm identifying opportunities for us to work together at the get-go. Let's build a team. I'm talking to our IT team. How do we create less friction between security and IT? Because there's a common misconception and not within security practitioners, but I think within people who look at security from the outside, specifically sometimes could be uh, vendor salespeople or people who are trying to break into security. They think that security does the patching. And I think 90% of the cases, that's not who does the patching.
1: Yeah, no, We, (laughs) we own the report. We own the problem list. Someone else is doing the actual work to solve the problem list.
0: Exactly. And so my job as a CISO is to work with whoever's leading the patching team within the organization and make sure that we're prioritizing the patches correctly, making sure that we're reducing the risk and also communicating back that, hey, guys, we're, you know, they're not going to be able to patch this vulnerability for 90 days. So we've got to do on our end. Now our team's got to get the kickback and we've got to do some mitigation. We've got to pay more attention. We've got to find ways to really you know, deal with a specific vulnerability that's that exists within our environment because you know what, we're not going to be able to get this patched and ready to go in a live environment for 60 days, 75 days. And those are real timelines that I think a lot of people really miss. And the modern CISO is, is looking at the business as a whole. It's identifying the risk. It's looking at the strategy and it's kicking back things to his team and really helping his team deliver the results that need to be done. But it's really about empowering your team and building the relationships across the business, spending time with your CEO and CFO. Like I said, I'm a fly on the wall. I like to be in every, at any meeting that I see on someone's calendar, right? The beauty of having access to other people's calendars. Oh, they've got a meeting with a, you know, a a potential strategic relationship. Or I see sales is talking to maybe one of our biggest customers. And I see that there's a solutions architect on the call and there's a bunch of people. So I may just hop in and just listen, listen to what's being discussed, listen to what the salespeople are doing, listen to what marketing's trying to do. Marketing has a stand-up call. I'll join in and listen because I want to know what they're working on. And then I can translate that from a risk perspective to our team. So I spend less time in the trenches with my team and more time kind of being the inside threat intel guy. And gathering all the different things that are going on and then kicking it back to my team and going like, have you guys, are you guys hearing the same thing? Uh, What's the execution? What's that looking like? And how are we dealing with all these different things?
1: Look look what's coming down the pathway. Right. So that's, that's great. And the listening aspect of that is really, really compelling. I don't get a lot of CISOs on the show who talk about their listening role. (laughs) And that's not to bash CISOs, right? I think we spend so much time focused on the fact that we have to evangelize that we worry more about our output than our input, right? As CISOs in general, I think we do. So it's refreshing to hear that you've got such a a vast input stream. But to your point about being there with sales, with a partnership call, you get to a point with clients and customers where it's more than just listening. You are actually trying to put forward a you-should-do-business-with-us-because-we-are-secure sort of message, like walk me through some of
0: that the funnest part of the job is getting on the phone with another CISO. And, you know, we're both kind of getting the order, like, don't be too rough. Don't be too rough. We all want to make this deal happen. Let's make this deal happen. And we see that. So you get on a call and you start to problem solve different things that maybe don't make sense. And one of the biggest challenges that exists for a lot of us is, you know, these different security questionnaires, these different aspects of What is compliance and what is security? So everyone's happy with a SOC 2 report. I, as a CISO, look at a SOC 2 report and it tells me nothing. It does. Like, I'm not dismissing a SOC 2 report. I'm just saying, like, from a vendor risk management perspective, you paid a company to come in and help you prepare for an audit and then do the audit. If you fail the SOC 2 report or if you have failures within your SOC 2 report, then that's a red flag. But have you ever seen a bad SOC 2? Right.
1: Failure means something. Passing does not. Right. And and, and while we're on the subject of SOC 2, I'm going to pick on it a little bit. It's one of the most antiquated standards out there. I wish we could quit using it. The word antivirus actually appears in the SOC 2 standard. Yep. It doesn't say EDR. It says antivirus. And this is one of my biggest frustrations with compliance in, in general is by the time you get a good standard built, it's already obsolete right and yet the industry embraces it uses it and touts it and bandies it about and, and acts like it's a big meaningful deal and and it's amazing how many folks hinge their own program on demanding that of their vendors in other words it's not just somebody waving their own sock too and saying look at me look at me i can't tell you how many times especially when i was in the services industry i got asked on a daily basis by someone else to say where's your sock too you know <laughs> and they were they were willing to hang
0: their hat on
1: my sock too which always confused me
0: that is antiquated yes fair use of the word now it's a fair use of the word. There's a need for us as industry, as chief information security officers. And I always tell my board, like, we don't need to do a SOC 2 every year, every two years, maybe every three years, maybe. And it's a good it's a good audit for us, right? If we do it every three years, two to three years, it's, it's a good exercise for someone. I'm more interested in how security is being operationalized. And there isn't a standard yet. There's a bunch of SIGs and there's a bunch of different forms that exist out there, right? So operationalizing security within these uh, third-party vendor risk management aspects and also within a client-customer relationship, right? So the standard's already being done, by the way. Mm-hmm. And people aren't paying attention to it, but it's coming. So we have two standards that are becoming top of mind for everyone. Yeah. So the first one is the shared responsibility model that exists within cloud service providers, Mm -hmm. right? So to me, that's a wonderful thing where I can kind of, I've created that for our organization. Here's the shared responsibility model. Here's what we're responsible for. Here's what you're gonna be responsible for, right? So from a security perspective, when we're looking to onboard a a partner, a vendor, whoever, we kind of do the shared responsibility model because I think it's very, very effective. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I enact with it is CMMC, now, yep. CMMC isn't perfect, but it's a good baseline of how to evaluate vendors. So I now evaluate my vendors the same way. Our salespeople, our marketing people, our business development people, our operations and finance, they all know, well, what kind of integration are we doing? What data are they giving us or what data are they are we sending them? Yep. All right, well, this is this level. And we've made a questionnaire and it essentially lets them know how far of a an audit sheet we're going to have to do with them. And how far we're going to have to go. Now that shortens the sales process, right? It creates a streamline. So now when sales and marketing love security and business development and mergers and acquisitions, when they all love security because you've made their life really easy, because they can answer five, six questions and know what to send off to the customer and can explain to the customer the process they're about to go through. So our security people are going to ask you for these five things. They love you.
1: Really quickly, let's hear a brief word from our sponsor.
2: The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, endpoint security, cloud protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting Uptix.com. That's Uptix.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode.
1: You know, I'm a vendor CISO right now, and it's it's the same story in reverse, right? I am the third-party right. supplier for some folks. In other cases, I'm demanding that a third-party work with me and right. validate their security posture. And that kind of approach that works really well. And CMMC, to, to be fair, is probably my favorite new standard, to be fair, <laughs> because it's for several reasons, right? Varying maturity levels and varying sizes of capability, right? It's one that allows reality to intrude as opposed to, you know, like picture taking ISO 27001 and just treating it like a club and bashing every vendor who walks in your door with it. Let's say that the preferred software solution you found is with a startup. Good luck getting a startup who's passed an ISO audit and who's paid the money to even do it. It's not even so much even about can they pass it. It's a matter of is a startup going to spend the effort, the time, the hassle, and the money to go get ISO certified or, you know, whatever the other higher, you know, SOC 2, whatever some of these other higher order old school standards might be. I, I love CMMC for the fact that it helps folks in that situation as well. And it's, to your point, smaller number of questions grounded in reality.
0: Go, go, go. And speed up the process, speed up business. I was on a call earlier today with a group of folks who are what I like to call antiquated security folks who are very much into no, 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 still in that mindset. Yeah. Now, when that mindset is within the mid-level of an InfoSec team, you can only imagine that that starts from the top. Sure. So we have a saying, the word no doesn't exist. Yes, but is our answer to everything. Yes, but let me check. Yes, but let me find out. Yes, let me build a plane.
1: Yes, but is far better than no. And it's amazing how often, you mentioned this earlier, and I kind of wanted to circle back to it, but... I have had my own teams shocked and surprised when I came to them and said, nay, 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 we don't need that kind of security. We've got a business to run. Right. The CISO coming to his own team and saying, we're going to choose business over security on this fight, on this round, on this decision, on this point, whatever it might be a modern CISO is making those calls on a regular basis because a modern CISO is as much a representative of the business as the head of marketing, as the head of sales, as the other right. folks. In the, you are the business. You are just as much the business as any other leader of any other department and organization. And so sometimes you shock your own team with a, you know what, I, I the CISO, am choosing business objective over security objective this time. And and we'll circle back to that one. It's, it's a lower prioritized, It's, you know, put it in your risk matrix. Treat it however you need to to make sure your team understands it but at the end of the day, there are times you will choose business over security, and there's, it's for very sound and very valid reasons. And I don't think older CISOs were willing to play that game that way. Or if they were, they felt like they were exposing themselves and taking some huge, scary risk for their career or whatever it might be. And nowadays, mm-hmm. I feel like that's actually a, a healthy and normal CISO decision.
0: When was the last time a CISO got fired for a breach? Capital One was the last one I can remember
1: that is still taking place. I know there is some of it still out there, but how much is a very good point. So let's switch gears. We've talked about kind of business alignment, alignment with your teams, alignment with sales, attending calls. Let's switch gears and get a little more technical. And let me ask you this, as you are staying modern as the modern CISO, you mentioned cloud already, sort of the shared responsibility model affecting and impacting how you do things. What about automation? It seems like on the technology front, automation is everywhere now Everything that is can be automated. Everything that is possibly already has been automated. How does that impact and change the modern CISO's perspective?
0: So from a tool perspective, let's go back 18 months, right? Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic we had so many shiny boxes on the shelf. I mean, I'm guilty of it just like anyone else. Like I'm not gonna sit here and even for a second pretend like everything was perfect in 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 my house. No, my house was out of order. We were spending money buying tools. Part of it was because part of decentralizing your your VPs and allowing them to kind of run sometimes had different people using different tools because of preferences and not because it made sense. So come pandemic time, we started to look at automation because we had people all over the globe and some people have different realities than we do. We're really lucky and blessed to be living in the greatest country on earth. There's many other places that when things went into lockdown, that impact wasn't the same as it was for us. We all went home to our high-speed internet. If we didn't have high-speed internet, we called our cable provider, got high-speed internet, got new routers, set it up, worked from home, barely missed a beat. Right. Some other countries, that's not a reality. So you started to look at automation, which brought us in to start to do our review. Okay, what are some of the things where we're struggling? Now let's start looking at well, we've got this tool, but it's only 30% implemented. Can we get it to 70% implementation? Because that would automate a lot of these different processes, which would allow these people to do different work that wouldn't require them to use so much bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Because some people in in some countries, by the way, for, for a lot of people who are maybe listening and maybe are just stateside, some countries have a limitation, like only one gig or two gig of data is all you can do in a month on your home internet network before you get bogged down and you go down to speeds of like 50 megs or, or 20 meg. I mean, those are real life challenges yep. that you had to deal with come this pandemic, which brought us to automation.
1: I had employees in villages around the world mm-hmm. who were using cellular dongles for their remote access capabilities when, when COVID first hit.
0: Right, that's kind of one of the unspoken things That came out of COVID. I didn't hear a lot of people talk about it. Everyone was talking about, well, how are we going to manage everyone accessing stuff from home? Really? What did we do with traveling salespeople or traveling executives? They had a VPN. They plugged in. Just get more licenses. Do that, but more. Right. Do that, but more. Exactly. But for those other people, the skilled positions... The positions that are hard to fill, the positions where by the time you found someone who knows what they're doing, who's a good security architect, a good security engineer, a good malware, or a reverse engineering person, a good forensics person, people who needed access to stuff. Those people who you said were living, like you said, living in villages or in countries where uh, the wife's home, the kids are home and they're home and they only get five gigs of Internet a month and then they got to go and buy phone lines so they can use wireless internet through a hotspot on the phone so that they can get more data because you know they can't buy more data because the bandwidth doesn't exist. And yes, folks, there is such a thing as bandwidth on data. You know, I know all of our audience are security people. So me saying that is redundant, but you know, there there are some set of challenges that we're unaware of being in the US. So let's get back to automation. Yep. That allowed us to go in and automate everything. And to me today, automation is the first thing we want to do i want to automate all entry-level positions i do because i'd rather hire an entry-level person and invest a year in training them and getting them to be a getting into a level to be a manager within three to four years and giving them some sort of you know progress yep Than having a bunch of entry-level people who leave after six months anyways
1: and, are, and because, are st- yeah stuck doing the same grind over and over and over something that could be done by right. a computer get bitter leave and and ultimately make more money on the exit as well invest in them. Let them make that more money with you. Let them grow and go with you. I'm a big believer in that. And you know, I've had Naomi on the show and I've had Chris Foulon right. on the show and yeah. you know, that that's one we are all violently in agreement on. So I'm with you there. So yeah, automate the low-end stuff and you have no low-end people. I hate that idea that people even talk about low-end workers and low-end people. No, 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 no. You have low-end tasks that can be automated. You have people and those people can be invested in and brought up and taught and grow and go. And there's no process and no technology in the world is going to grow and go and invest with you if you do the same. Right. in Right.
0: Well, and there's, there's a group of people who, when they come in, they're so eager and so hungry. Yes. Right. So you can show them a problem and all of a sudden they'll go home. They'll think about it. Two days later, I'll get an email from someone, you know, and, and I'm in CC. It's not that they don't talk to me, it's just, they'll see, see me on emails. They send their, their supervisors Uh sometimes or their managers. And it'll be like, we could do this process and this will probably streamline these things that we thought of doing this. And we're like, why didn't any of us think about it? Well, because we got complacent. Yep. Right. And that's the thing. Complacency is the number one enemy to any security team. You can never get complacent. So when you bring in these hungry individuals who are bringing a different, a diverse set of thoughts and a diverse view at some of these challenges, that's 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 priceless. No technology will ever be able to replace a fresh set of eyes looking at a persistent challenge within an organization.
1: Great way to summarize it. So listen, we're getting close to the end of the show and I have switched up my question. You are gonna be the very first guest to answer the new question. I used to ask everybody, what keeps you going in cyber? We're tallying those results and I'll be publishing a poll shortly on all the answers there. But the new question is, what surprises you the most in cybersecurity? What what has been the most recent surprise that really made you go, huh, in cybersecurity?
0: I'm going to say the surprise that people have about ransomware. Mm-hmm. The onslaught of ransomware and then the people who go, wow, it's so surprising. I'm like, no, it's not. It's just the media decided to talk about it more. Everyone wants to talk about ransomware now because it's a hot button issue, but We've been dealing with ransomware for decades, yep. really. it's It started with DDoS attacks, like they would DDoS our websites, and yep. then they would call us and say, pay me 50 grand right. or 100 grand.
1: And I'll call off the zombie army. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll call off the z- zombie army. That was the first form of ransomware. Yes, it was. And so we look at what's going on now, and I think that still surprises me, is the amount of conversations that are still being done around fundamentals. And to mm-hmm. me, ransomware prevention is fundamental. You can probably stop 98% of ransomware if you just did your fundamentals correct. You had MFA, you had a complex password policy, yep. you used good detection tools, good vulnerability scanning yep. tools, you had a good patching schedule. Like those are, to me, that's maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but to me, those are all fundamentals before you go out and you buy the next thing for $2 million.
1: I'm with you there. Fundamentals not basics. It's always important to point out cuz basics implies that
0: it's easy, right? Right. Fundamentals implies that it's it's got to be constantly monitored and that kind of takes us back to what we just spoke about. Entry level people empowered to go in and review things that you're doing. Yes. Right, review existing fundamentals and go we should probably tighten ship up here. Yep. We should probably look at this here.
1: Yep. Feel free to poke your eyes anywhere. That's what you're here for. True right. empowerment and true true ability to run amok, as I say. Any, <laughs> any boss that doesn't let me run amok, I'm suspicious of because I let everyone on my team run amok. That's the whole point. All right. Well, fantastic. James Azar, CISO in the financial services space, Cyber Hub CISO Talk podcast host. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. And thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.